Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams How lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all that long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. Here we are, back on Radical Australia at 4pm on Wednesday afternoon. And guess what? We have another guest, another man or another woman to talk about themselves. Now, Ian, Mr. Ian McIntyre is our special guest today. (laughs) Now, young Ian, you have 56 minutes and we only do two questions and the first question takes 10 seconds to answer. Did you know that, Ian? No. (laughs) Have you ever answered a 56-minute question? (laughs) he He thinks this is a joke. Look, we've had people cry in this studio, you know. I, I can be quite incisive, but I won't be today, yeah. I mean, how can I be incisive with a man who spells in I-A-I-N? Is that mm. correct? That is correct. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you now, but um, I-A-I-N. Yes. And you pronounce it Ian. Yes, it's the Scottish Gaelic. Scottish Gaelic. Oh, one of them. Mm. All right, what year were you born, Ian? I was born in 1970. 1970, so you're a relatively youngster. Yeah. Well, 1970. <laughs> I was born in 51. Come yes, on. yes, well. Compared to me, I'm, you know, you're a youngster. So, what's the first thing you remember? Oh, I have very vague re- memory of um, red dust mm-hmm. and um, kind of tootling around on a, uh, yeah, one of those little kitty. Tricycles. Now, I'm not exactly sure if this is a memory now or whether it's I've just seen the photographs and, you know, somehow become wedged. And around the same time, I also have a memory of of being in a plane and looking out a window. Mm. And uh, all that's related to um, when I was, uh, I guess, about one, my parents moved up to Carnarvon. Carnarvon. Yes. So I'm originally from from Western Australia, um, grew up in Perth. You told me you're Gaelic. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you were born no, in Scotland, no, no, no Ireland. I've got a bit of red in my beard, so I'm obviously <clears throat> a Viking. But yeah, yeah. Um, oh, fuck. <laughs> a killer and a slave owner. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> sure there was, I'm sure there were libertarian Vikings <clears throat> amongst yeah, yeah. there. But, um, yeah. yeah, I was born in Perth. And, yeah, when I was one or two, um, my, my dad was a, a teacher and I think um, – I think he'd already done his stint in the country in order to get the uh, you know permanency or whatever, but they decided to go and have an adventure. Excuse me, permanency. Yes, another era. Is was your dad a boat person? Sorry, was he a boat person? No, no, he he was born here, was he? Yeah, but permanency in terms of um, I don't Uh, know what the rules are now. But if you were a teacher and you wanted to you wanted to have an ongoing contract, you had to go bush. That's right. And uh, I think he'd already done that in a place called Niangarup. But um, anyway, they decided they wanted an adventure. I think they applied for Exmouth, and they ended up in Carnarvon. So um, an adventure, yeah, northwest. Australia. Yeah, so my brother my brother was subsequently born there and they're up there yeah, a couple yeah, of years. So yeah. I think that's my, my first memory. Well, I, was, I was actually up there in 1972 and you're right about the red dust. It's just everywhere. Yeah, and I don't think that's The bloody termite male, mounds and the bloody red dust. I can't get it out of my head, especially when your car breaks down. But that's another story. We're here to talk about you, Ian. 
So, did you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got my uh, brother Rory. Is he younger or older? He's younger. So yeah. he was born in Canaveral. He was right born there. in He's got very good teeth, apparently, as a Is result. Because of the fluoro. Yes. <laughs> well, your teeth look pretty good to me. Uh, Unless they're well, fakes. I think I've got about ten fillings or something. Ten He's fillings. got none. And <clears> He's got none. I don't think there was a great difference in our dental hygiene. Right, right. Maybe there is something in, in the great, you know, in favour of fluoride. In the fluoride, yeah. So did you go, how long did you, your parents last in Carnarvon for? Oh, so we were only there. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm very croaky day. Uh, we were only there a couple of years, I couple think. A couple of years. And yeah. did your mum uh, work at home or do other work when she was um, up there? When we were up there, mum was, was uh, working at home. When we mm. came back, um, she went back into the workforce later on. I mean, right. she'd been working since she was 15. Right. Um, took a bit of time out when we... Um, she was a local, born in West Australia too? Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Her and dad uh, both grew up in the sort of... Oh, they're probably considered the inner southern suburbs now. Yeah, I don't yeah, think they were yeah, then. No. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, they sort of met at a local school dance or yeah, whatever. So. Yeah, they're, they'd be about my age, I think. <laughs> they're in their late 60s, aren't they? Uh, yeah, mum, the... mum's turning 70 soon, dad's yeah, 72. 72, yeah, a little bit bit, bit older than uh, Yeah, but I know the period well. And if you lived in West Australia in Perth, you would want an adventure and you would want to go to Carnarvon. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, it hadn't changed much by the 80s. I mean, yeah. Way out it changed, but yeah, anyway, yeah. No, mean, that, we'll you, get to that. You actually had two options. You either, for, for a holiday, you went north or you went OS. Oh, yeah, or you went south. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful down south. Well, in fact, during my teenage years, we never spent much time up north because you wanted to escape the heat, so you yeah. went down south mm. to the forests and, mm. and, and the beaches. So you went to primary school in uh, Perth? Yep. Um, I went to, well, it was called an alternative school. It was Alternative a, it, school? It was a... What, what made your parents send you to, to an alter, alternative school? Well, so... Well, they some of, type of hippies, were they? A couple of caveats here. No, they definitely weren't hippies. <laughs> um, but I guess they were progressive in their parenting, which, which for Perth in the 70s meant they didn't belt us and they gave <laughs> us some, um, you know, which certainly the area... Oh, well, that I, is progressive. Yeah. Um, certainly the area I grew up in, most kids were belted and, and you know, you saw yeah. that all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically uh, they were... I was a Spock child. A Spock child. Yeah, yeah, oh, so out of the book. I remember Dr. Spock, so they were Spock <laughs> devotees. Uh, I don't know about devotees, yeah, but they followed the book. And, and, they followed um, the book, yeah. So, yeah, they, yeah they, they were interested in alternative schooling, but the thing is uh, my father working in state schools and, um, yeah, my mum probably being the main sort of lefty in the family, it had to be a public school. Right. So an alternative school in Western Australia in, in 1976 wasn't necessarily that alternative by today's standards. So, I mean, you had one teacher for the whole day, so you mm. didn't have periods where you had to change classes. That was progressive for then. Uh, the school didn't have the cane, so that was progressive That is progressive. For then. <laughs> the school um, did a lot of sort of... Um, I guess creative activities, field so, trips, looking uh, at bees. Yeah, yeah. Um, doing. Yeah, we did animation yeah, and photography, yeah. and they did a lot of de bono sort of critical thinking. And so this, they, this is all in primary school. Yeah, they, so they put up propositions like you know the yeah. school should have unisex toilets for yeah. and against. That's about as alternative as it got. I mean, I had other friends that I met later in life who'd gone to alternative schools where, you know, the kids kind of planned their whole day. Yeah, and right, yeah. We still had to call a teacher Mr. and Mrs. You didn't yeah. have to call them yeah, Sir or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was a public alternative school. Yeah. So essentially my understanding from, from my folks is that the state government um, put some money into two alternative schools. One was in a working class area, that's where I went. One was in um, quite a wealthy area. And after six or seven years, they found that um, the educational results were not that different to mm-hmm. to other schools. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, class layout or whatever. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so going back mm. to your mum, you said she was working from 15. What type of work was she doing? Uh, well, she was uh, a public servant and a clerk. So she right. was initially a public servant and then... Um, when I was a kid, she was working for Myers in you know, sort of accounts or whatever, and then later on she worked for a few other companies. Um, mm. Fortunately, she uh, was pretty much on minimum wage 
most of her life. Um, once she moved um, out of Myers, was very much, you know, there were just a handful of union members or whatever, and unfortunately she was in a pretty crook union, being yeah. the Clarks. The Clarks. <laughs> they haven't changed, have they? No. <laughs> Not in West Australia. But uh, they had a lot of numbers back then. Yeah, they don't have yeah. any numbers now, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm still, yeah, anyway, so... Um, yeah, so that was sort of her work thing. Dad, um, yeah, was, was a teacher. Um, he's probably a bit more conservative in some of his politics around foreign policy and war and that sort of thing. But I guess he come through that generation, whether it was the generation thing or, or what, um, you know, in the early 70s, there was a lot of teacher militancy. and There was, there was. Uh, Dad wasn't like a particularly hardcore militant or anything, no, but no. he was a union delegate. And I, I have memories of various teacher strikes and stuff. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, d- tensions with um, family, friends. Who, who weren't going on strike, <laughs> you know. And you said your mum was the leftist in the family. Uh, mum was that? more of a lefty, yeah. I mean, I guess both my parents' families um, went through tough times during the Depression, and I think my mother's family went to the left, um, left of the ALP. The, I think her father did think about joining the Communists but didn't. Um, and on my father's side, his father went went to the right and sort of, Worked himself up from nothing to the top of the public service, and yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, and then my dad uh, became a teacher, and yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. So, what was school like on a practical sense? This alternative school in the western suburbs of Perth. Uh, so I was in the southern southern suburbs. Southern, yeah, you right. don't really have west. Yeah, you hit the <laughs> guess, south. You go you fall in the ocean. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So the division there is more north and south, right. and within the south, it's you know, I mean, we'd initially I went to a. What was um, your experience like on a yeah. practical sense? What was it like going there as a young kid? Um, well, my experience of. Primary school, I think, was, was wasn't too bad. Uh, generally had fun, got in trouble a bit, talking too much mainly, and um, you know, usual school stuff, a little bit of bullying, but nothing too out of control. Um, the school was quite nice in that it had a bit of um, remnant bushland and stuff. So I remember Did pl- you excel at playing and that sort of thing. Did you excel at anything as a primary school student? Uh, as a primary school student, uh, talking a lot in class. Uh, talking a lot in class. <laughs> That's all right. Nothing's changed. Making up silly lyrics uh, yeah. when we're meant to be singing Christmas carols. Um, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> no, nah, look, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I didn't get into a gifted program or no, any of that, no, and they no, were no. into that stuff Tough. back yeah. then. Yeah. High school, I <clears throat> probably have more memories of, yeah. really. So where did you go to high school? Was it uh, still in the south of Perth? Yeah, I went to the – I went basically um, – I went to the – I went uh, – to Linwood Primary for seven years, and then I did five years at Linwood High. It was Linwood all within walking so just distance. Crossed the road, did you? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Is there a class divide in Perth, like in some other cities? Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. So the southerns, you wouldn't call them. Uh... Well, no, there's bits of the southern suburbs. I mean, my parents initially bought a place in an area called Williton, which I guess was a bit, well, it wasn't nouveau riche per se, but people mm. were trying to. Um, you know, kind of make it, and it was a bit more like, you know, looking at the Joneses and the boats and that, and they got sick of that, so we moved to Linwood, wow. um, which was a working-class area which neighboured another area called Langford, which was Ministry of Housing equivalent. Mm. Mm. Um, so, and Linwood was, un, I suppose, well, it, it was essentially a migrant area in that um, it had mainly been built for uh, British migrants in the 60s. Yes, yes. So there were a lot of British people in um, British-born people, British parents in our area. And then over time, by the late 80s, a lot of um, Chinese, Malaysian people were moving into the area. Um, but a lot of them had actually come from Christmas Island. So, so the phosphate was running out of Christmas <laughs> Island and they were able to get their, their PR or whatever, so they were coming to Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in those times, so the area had a lot of movement because it was sort of people would move in and after five or ten years, if, if they got their you know, yeah, business going or whatever, they'd yeah, move up yeah, and out yeah. and, and the next lot would come in. And since then, it's sort of stabilised. Right. And your parents still live in the same house? Yes, they're still in the same, same unit. House. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So we're in a little unit with, um, I don't know, 13 or 14. 
14 other places and right. pool yeah. and stuff. So high school, yeah, look, high school, a lot of it was very boring. Boring? Um, yep. Yeah, so it wasn't an alternative high school. Just it wasn't an alternative high school. Um, just a normal yes, state high school. Normal state. <clears throat> high school, you know, the cane was back. Good, good, good. <laughs> I feel better now. <laughs> um, and a lot of the fun came from, you know, I mean, some of it I regret, but, you know, just stirring up teachers and mucking about. And uh, there was a lot of that kind of, I suppose, um, what I now think is that kind of day-to-day resistance. How do you make the day interesting? And, yeah, you know, yeah. um, but we had some good some good teachers, some idiots. Um yeah. But you know, it was a pretty, it was a fairly rough school. I think it had been a lot rougher a few years before, but it wasn't unusual most days, you know, for there to be a fight after school. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, so, as a consequence, I was able to actually play up a fair bit and not really suffer too many consequences. You, because you, you don't look like the type of bloke that would play up. You know, <laughs> you just look like a respectable citizen. Yes, well, you know, anyway. <laughs> in those days it was different. Did um, you actually do anything academically while you were at high school? Does anything you excelled at? Uh, well, I did well enough to get into university, right. which wasn't um, which is unusual in those high schools in those during that period. People yeah. don't understand what it was like because I I remember I was at high schools in the late sixties, and we had uh, twelve hundred students and six formed six classes, and two ended up in university. And mm. That's what it was like in high schools well, was... before Whitlam introduced you know the uh, uh, free universal education. Well, even the free universal education mm. didn't necessarily make a lot of difference. Um, I mean, obviously it made a huge difference, but, but <clears throat> statistically, kids coming from working class schools, it didn't rock it up. So by the time I was at school, maybe we had seven or 800 kids at school yeah, yeah. and maybe 20 or 30 really? were going to university. Mm. But in well, terms the improved, yeah. um, of the, uh, the university I went to is UWA and there's a uh, university of Western Australia, which is the oldest one there, yeah. most conservative, and there was only one other kid from my school that's right. there. Yeah. And that's the, the class thing I was kind of aware of from, um, you know, conversations. There was always <clears throat> a lot of political conversations, uh, particularly with my mum. Um, you know, she was pretty interested in what was going on, even to the degree of occasionally when I remember being quite young and she'd send me into town with 20 cents to go and buy a copy of the socialist paper off some right. of the order. <laughs> you know, but she'd been, you know, gone. They didn't the, try to recruit you, did they? Uh, no, not at, yeah, <laughs> no, not not at 12 the, or not whatever. Not at 12, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was kind of aware of, of class and I was aware why our school wasn't getting as many resources as other schools because it was in a Labor-safe seat. Mm. At that time, it later became a Liberal one, but it mm. was in a safe seat and most of the parents weren't very... Uh, either not that interested in school, certainly not motivated enough to kind of hassle politicians and, yeah, and you yeah, know, yeah. and certainly didn't have the money to pour into Well, just the, the place you sent the kids to get, get them out of your hair until they got an apprenticeship. That's what it was like. Um, yeah, and, and look, you know, <clears throat> uh, the majority of... Um, of kids did leave at 15. Yeah. Um, most of my mates went. I certainly thought about it, but I had a lot of... Um, I guess I was already starting to get interested in something beyond the suburbs, and I'd also had a lot of push from home that... Um, Dad, hadn't, Dad had gone to uni for one year after he did his teacher's college thing, but, but you know, there weren't many people in our... My mum hadn't gotten to go to uni. It wasn't yeah. possible in, in, the, you know, in the 60s. She was told, you know, go out and get a job. Um, So I had that parental push from home. How about your brother? Did he go to the same primary and secondary college? Yep, he went to the the same, yeah. Yeah. Was he he a nuisance or did you have to look after him? (laughs) No. He (laughs) He looked after himself, didn't he? He was great. Um, (laughs) He left school at 15 um, and went surfing for a lot of years and, and, um, you know, has had heaps of great adventures and stuff. And, I mean, he's now sort of working as, as a carer in the sort of mental health field, so he's sort of studying again now. Yeah, but yeah. for me, I, 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 yeah, so I did certainly think about at 15, you know, wow, I could go and work in a bank and get, you know, $5 an hour. That's you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And that was when people, it was just before the 80s recession hit, yeah. so it wasn't that hard as a 15-year-old to walk into a job and the other alternative is a lot of kids went straight on the dole which they still had at 15 so you had those uh and i guess there was that that class thing in in terms of you know most kids at school who maybe 
had a leaning towards academic type skills wouldn't would still leave at 15 and they go into some kind yeah, of yeah. job that you know would have mm. a path out of there mm. because yeah. There's nothing like the dull for a surfing career when you're a young person. <laughs> I remember. I well, actually, my brother probably he worked, exactly he worked, he, worked he worked quite a bit actually yeah, through yeah. all these years. He went up, but anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, th- there was that option, and then things started to change as the eighties went on. They got rid of the youth doll, and some kids came back to school. That's right. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so school. I mean, you know, it was it was. In some ways, it was a lot of fun. In other yeah. ways, you know, you had all that sort of, you know, kids being mean to each other and yeah. Yeah. all the kind of just, you know, clock watching that goes on at every level, whether yeah. it's the teachers or the kids, like, you know, can we just get through the day? <laughs> Which is a good up. training for, for yeah. most forms for of life. work, yeah. but, yeah. Yeah. you know. So so you, weren't, you didn't excel on the sporting field then in high school? No. I mean, no. we... we, we, we Followed football closely. Um, you know, parents were members of East Romano Football Club. Dad used to organise the footy carnival for the region. So mm. went to the football a lot. I later sort of, I guess as I started to get, I did, never had particular, uh, certainly by today's standards, particularly funny haircuts or whatever. But as I started to get funny haircuts and piercings, going to the footy in, in WA in the late 80s, just got too much crap from people. So I sort of. Uh, Lost my interest in footy, but I came back to it years later. Years and later, people right. are more tolerant and so forth in, yeah, you know, oh, of oh. difference here in Victoria. So. <laughs> but uh, you did get into uni. Yeah, so what, I got into uni. What did you, what did you do? What course? Uh, well, I did an arts course. An arts course. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, you did all that work and you went into an arts course. Well, I did a certain I mean, amount of work. I basically learnt what school taught me was uh, academically was what hoops you had to jump through. Mm-hmm. And I think I worked out fairly early on that, um, you know, do well on this test and do well on this test, memorise this thing and, and you'll get where you want to go. Um, so I managed to do that and I managed to go to uni. I didn't really have any kind of vocational idea in mind. It was a, an era when a lot of people still went to uni without a vocational That's right. idea in mind. Also, I mean, my parents... I wouldn't say, you know, in lots of ways there are aspects of their jobs they enjoy, but there was never this pressure on going out and get money. And and there was, I certainly got the message that, that work uh, in the formal sense often wasn't much fun. So, you know, if I could avoid that, great. Yeah. So I didn't have that kind of, you know, pressure so, so from can, home. Do you remember your first day at uni? Uh, I don't remember my first day at uni so much as the run-up to uni. There was a program being run at the time. Yeah. Now, this the first year I started orientation he- week. Uh, no, it was I didn't call it called something else, did they? No, well, so the the sort of backstory is is that the at, this was around the time Labor were bringing in Hex. So I started, I think, in eighty eight, and in eighty nine they brought in Hex. Eighty eight they had this little token amount of money that was sort of them testing the waters. Um, but as part of that, as part of their sort of push to expand education and to expand access to it by getting everyone to pay for it. Mm-hmm. They were sort of pushing the equity thing and they were saying, well, look, you know, we look at these working class schools and, and country schools and, and the numbers haven't increased as much as they have in other areas due to free education. So they poured some money into a program at UWA called the Targeted Student Support Program. And that's the main thing I remember beginning because uh, one of the first things they said to us and this particular guy, Charlie, was running the program and he basically said, you know, you're the people who aren't meant to be here and we're here to help, <laughs> help you to get through. Now, I you're think... You're not meant to be here. I like that. Yes. yes. So some aspects, I think, of the program probably weren't so required, like you got extra tutoring and stuff. And I think most kids who come from these schools and got there, they either had the kind of background that I did where the parents were going, you should go to uni, give it a go, or they... You know, had as some other but, friends. But you're that, much more resilient. Every study has shown that kids who come from a, a state back, a state high back public, state high background are actually much more resilient yes. at university. Every because you've had to be resilient to get there. Yes, you're so that, basically the pick of the crop. That was my feeling. Where it was really good was in terms of the social stuff because. Obviously, I was coming into school with one other, uh, coming into uni with one other kid that I knew from school, a kid I didn't even, I didn't like, yeah. so I wasn't going to hang out with them. <laughs> I had a little bit of connection to the university already because I'd started doing public radio when I was in year twelve, 
Um, but they, you know, so at least I would have had somewhere to go, sort of hang out at lunch or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the kids were quite isolated, be- and I learnt a lot about class when I was there because you could see essentially pretty much the whole leaving year of Scotches come in, the whole leaving year of you know the equivalent of MLC or yep, whatever yep, yep. has come in. These people already have their networks. Um, you know, over the couple of years I was there, I could see the kind of conveyor belt. You know, these people are heading. F- to plug in as, into yeah, the public yeah. service, these people are heading to plug into you know illegal medicine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mum and dad's yeah, um, yeah, empire. Yeah. A couple of people I knew, you know, yeah. ended up in mining empires. Yeah. So um, yeah, so this program was great because th- they ran this sort of introduction to uni, and then we had this camp where everyone sort of got drunk and wasted and got to know each other. <laughs> and a couple of my uh, you know my, my one of my longest friends. Um, who I still know quite well and still do lots of stuff with, I met there. So that was a great way uh, to jump in there. How long did you last at the University of West Australia? Did you get your degree? I did get my degree. I, uh, I came pretty close to dropping out by the end, but I was convinced I only had six months to go. So, you know, the marks dropped off, but I got there. Yeah. Um, I studied uh, yeah, politics, history, anthropology, but during the whole time I was quite... Busy uh, with other other sort busy, of activities. Busy yes. with non <laughs> non you know core activities. Yes. What? 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 Well, pretty what? much, pretty much. I guess the two main things that took up my time then and and have continued to. Mm. Um, when I was about fifteen, I was uh, or fourteen or fifteen, I was flipping the dial on the radio looking mm. for something to listen to, and I came across. Uh, Perth Station 60 VSFM, which is now Not them. 6RTR. Oh. And they were playing, um, I think, uh, Psycho by, by yeah. the Beast of Bourbon. Oh. And I heard that song, and it's, it doesn't sound so weird to me now, but it sounded so weird and bizarre to me then, I became totally fascinated. And so I became very fascinated with that kind of music. At the same time, I was already probably through my mum's influence quite interested in um, politics, but nobody at school was interested in that. <laughs> And I'd already started dropping into places like the um, Perth Environment Centre and oh. picked up um, things like the the Freedom Collective's little magazine, which is an anarchist not, group. Not, not the Freedom and... Collective. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And I uh, picked up Environment WA and other things. So I was already, you know, mm. for me, it was like, great, I'm going to go to uni and I'm going to plug into all this stuff, which is, a, you know, this kind of inner city trendy, radical, whatever you want to call it, left. I remember in 1986 we organised the um, centenary of the Australian yep. anarchist movement in Melbourne and I wake up, walk out, and on the veranda are three people who've hitchhiked from Perth to Melbourne, <laughs> sleeping on the veranda. They didn't want to wake us up, you know, in their sleeping bags from the Freedom Collective. So I've, right. got, I've got a lot of fond memories about regarding the Freedom Collective. Yeah. So do you have much... Association with them, or well, yeah. So, so really, I've gone, yeah, I've gone to uni hoping to make these sort of connections. Yeah. But I probably also had a romantic view of, I definitely had a romantic view of university as being this sort of place of clash of ideas and all that, you know, and and all that, and and, and that does exist to a degree. But mm. what, as I as I say, what I found was more this sort of what I felt was a conveyor belt to to slot into your. Well, you it's know. a gravy train to your to, to your class destiny. <laughs> yeah. So the first stuff I got involved, so, yeah, so I'd already started doing public radio um, at UVS, and so I was doing that uh, pretty much from when I started uni, and and, and I I also, you know, falsely kind of mixed up this kind of alternative or underground music scene with with radical politics. Yes, yes. Um, And, you know, and and had probably a false view of, a, a rosy view of what both could offer. I think they're both still fantastic, but you know, my 18 year old, 17 year old self was a bit more naive. But um, I think, uh, yeah, the first group I got involved with uh, it was Campaign Against Racial Exploitation, which I think in the rest of the country might have mainly been run by the Socialist Party of Australia. But, mm. but in Perth, as with a lot of things, because the left uh, was so small, it, yeah. things were a lot more mixed. So in our group, we had some people who were socialists. We had most of the group, people didn't have any particular politics or whatever. Mm. And the main thing we focused on was um, anti-apartheid activity, 
but also that year the brewery dispute happened in Perth where um, there was an Aboriginal sacred site which a uh, brewery had been built on in the 19th century. The site had been empty for years. Me and my dad used to go fishing off there. (laughs) And the state government, essentially ALP state government, wanted to kick off riverfront um, development and they figured this was a good site to begin with. What they didn't reckon on was that there was substantial opposition from parts, sections of the Aboriginal community. The Noongar community said, no, we don't want it. There ended up being an occupation of the site. Um, there were union bans put on it and stuff. So that that was a pretty interesting campaign on lots of levels to be... Well, it is. It's, got it, it's got it all. It's got the, the friction, the direct action, the mm. commitment. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the direct action wasn't much. You, you, you get up every fortnight at 5am, <laughs> go down there. And, well, that's direct action. And sort of say, g'day, and then g'day. you hang around. And then yeah. and then I think the BLF, I think the CFMEU had a just a straight ban on it, but the BLF had some kind of, and I might be getting some of my timelines mixed up because it went on for years, but the BLF, I think, had an agreement that they wouldn't cross a picket line. So you need at least like three people, people there. That's <laughs> so right, you yeah. go down there. And you're the picket and line. And then you yeah. sort of amble off yeah. to uni or whatever. So what did you do? What did you do for a crust? I mean, here you are. You've got your arts degree. You must be, what, around 20? Oh, we're talking later on now. Because, yeah. um, yeah, so. uh, well, you know, um, the, it wasn't hard to be on the dole in those days, oh, and it wasn't hard to pick up bits and pieces of, work, of yeah, work and money and stuff. So, yeah. um, drug dealer? <laughs> no, never that. But uh, the I guess the oh, the other group I should mention that I got involved in around the same time, probably about nineteen ninety, yeah. was the Perth Rainforest That's Action Group true. and uh, campaign. Mm-hmm to save native forests, which was essentially the same people, but mm. either looking at local forests or um, yeah. um, international. And um, and I also got involved with the anarchist scene because um, I actually think some people from Freedom Collective came and did a talk at uni. I mean, I'm often critical of people putting too much energy into trying to recruit university students and not doing enough on on community sort of struggles, but but I was certainly, you know, I, I met them and I guess I had a pretty cynical outlook, which again I think was influenced by my parents in terms of being quite cynical about politicians and, mm. and, and a lot of forms of social change. And so when I met them, it sort of resonated. And, yeah, clicked. Um, something clicked. Yeah. 20 years, you're 20, you're cynical, no future generation. <laughs> Well, no, I was, cyni- I was cynical about other people and definitely in that apocalyptic sort of frame of mind being yeah. involved with radical environmental stuff and going, yeah. you know, we don't know, the, you know, the time is now, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I always also had a sense of hope and I'd certainly been raised with a sense of that um, – and maybe it's that Irish-Australian thing of you, you've got to go down swinging or you've got to, you know. Yeah, you got to. Like yeah, if, you yeah. want to, if you want to respect yourself, you need to do something. You know what something. hope is. You know what hope is. It's the love child of desire and expectation. <laughs> the desire for change and the expectation that it will occur. Yes. So it's, well, a good thing, probably, it's a good thing to have. I was probably lacking the expectation. <laughs> yeah, the desire. the desire. So how long did you last in West Australia? Uh, well, I left WA, uh, I think I was 22. Right. Um, end of 92, end of 92? No, end of 91. Yeah. Finished uni. Um, we'd heard about... We had some friends who'd been living on the East Coast, as we referred to the entire eastern seaboard, Mm -hmm. and um, they had been involved in squatting and forest protests and all that, so we were pretty keen to get involved with that. And then we heard about the 1991 ADEX protest, so myself and a few different friends all came over around the same time. I remember I flew on my own. I think Compass Airlines had just come out, so there was also cheap flights for the first time so so you weren't going to have to sit on the train for three days um yeah and i remember getting i got off in um sydney and sort of must have been at central and i was like wow look at all the graffiti and grime or whatever and then i got on a bus straight away to canberra and um most of the way 
we got into Canberra and the bus actually got stopped by the march to yeah. the ADEX. Um, <laughs> yes. So ADEX is a big arms fair. Yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, for, uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with it, and there was a big blockade of it in 1991. Uh, so it was like, oh, okay. So, were you part of the Naked Man Brigade? No, I think you that weren't. was actually... <laughs> that was later on. I, I think, think that was actually in 89. Uh, yeah, that, that one you missed. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, so I got... Uh, that, was, that, was, that, was, that, was inst- that was quite a great public attention... Well, naked. getting naked usually will will do that, <laughs> especially in, quite, in an arms fair. You couldn't be more. You know, <laughs> here you are, naked against the might of the military-industrial complex. <laughs> it's just such a brilliant concept. You've got a jet there, and you've got a naked man on the other side. It's just such a mind-blowing concept. Yeah. So I remember, yeah, the bus pulled up, and I um, said, "Oh, look, can I get off here?" And then I joined the march and, and went there, and essentially was there for the next, I don't know, five or seven days, mm. and that was amazing. I mean, a, a couple of days later, some, my friends from Perth turned up, but I met a whole lot of people there as well, and the experience of, you know, it was a pretty heavy protest. A lot of my glasses got lost and trashed, got thrown around a fair bit. You know, lots of squabbling between all the different groups about what do we do next, quite chaotic. But out of that, yeah, again, I made some friendships that, that have sort of, you know, persisted. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's that was my introduction to... Uh, yeah, <laughs> so things are obviously a lot bigger over here. Yeah, yeah. The downside um, was in Perth, I mean, you know, obviously there was a union movement. I wasn't plugged into that whatsoever. And it's only with later ages that I've realised what was going on in WA with, with some of that politics. At the time, I was very much part of this sort of anarchisty direct action sort of scene. Um, but we worked a lot with socialists and we worked a lot with hippie types who didn't have any particular politics. And you were kind of... Yes, we had a couple of people who were just sectarian hacks or whatever, but for most people, you were forced to work with people who you didn't see eye to eye with. Mm. And that cut both ways. You know, I mean, you know, we'd say to the socialists, don't bring your papers to our rally. And they'd say to us, you know, don't stir up the cops at our rally or whatever. And and people were willing to do that. Whereas when I moved to Melbourne, I was immediately like, wow, this is fantastic. There's so much more going on. On the other hand... Um, so what year did you come to Melbourne? Uh, so I moved... Well, I came here in 91, but I moved here in 92. I went back to Perth and then I no. kind of went... No, 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 no. that's not for me. <laughs> no. So well, what, what suburb did you first live in in Melbourne? Uh, well, I was initially staying in Fitzroy. Right. And then I ended up squatting in Brunswick. Yep. And then I ended up As in you do. Windsor. Yeah. Um, Still haven't left the CBD. No, <laughs> no, five k's no. the CBD. No, so I've got I've got some relatives <laughs> out in Noble Park, so right. um, I knew a little bit of what was out there. Uh, but um, and in recent years, I've gotten to know sort of. Broad meadows, and right. I've gotten to know the the west a lot better. But there's still chunks of Melbourne I don't know. But to be honest, I mean, I don't really know most of the southern, uh, northern suburbs of Perth either. So yeah, you know. that's exactly right. <laughs> so what have what have you been doing for the last, you know, thirty years? Or oh, almost? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, I've been in Melbourne a lot. I've played in a bunch of bands. Bands? Are um, you a musician? Uh, well, I often say I'm more of a showman than a musician. Showman. You're a front man, <laughs> eh? Not a front man. I no, play no. bass and guitar, but, oh, right, but right, right. fairly rudimentary fashion. Was, was this, this a childhood thing or something you picked up when you came Pick, to Melbourne? Picked up uh, when I started uni. So I was already totally passionate about music. And, yeah. and I guess even though in some ways it was a, you know, probably a false thing, there was this 80s DIY or do-it-together type ethos, and I really plugged into that. So the idea of if, if, you, like, if you like music, you should play it. Mm. If you're interested in, in – I, I got a lot of my early sort of influence from, from fanzines and stuff, you know, so if you like that, you should do it. If, if you're interested in politics or whatever, you should just go and do it. So, um, not watch it, just do it. Oh, watch it, and, and well, most and, people watch. I mean, most people most and consume most, it. Yeah, most people voyeurs, and you know, they, they don't they don't actually participate. So obviously, there's something in your DNA. You said you do it, music, yeah. politics, whatever. So when I moved here, that was one of the things um, uh, myself and my friend Laura, who, who, who I'd met at uni, mm. 
we started a, a fanzine called Woozy, which... Uh, I remember yeah, Woozy, yep. yep. And, um, it was actually one of the better fanzines well, in Melbourne. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> one of the ideas with that was to try and cross over these different scenes. It was like, well, we know these comics people are publishing their own stuff, yeah. and we know these um, musicians who, who aren't interested in the... You know, they're, pro- they're interested in the fame probably, but they're not yeah. interested in playing the sort of... Mm major label game or whatever and then we've got these you know and so trying to get these people to go oh look you got something in common i don't think we're very successful on that level but um we had a lot of fun doing that magazine and um yeah so i did that and got very involved with with sort of local um sort of environmental and uh, unemployed activists i got involved with um 3cr 3cr yes when did that start so I started here. Well, it's it's actually very hazy now. I, I, know, I, I know when I first got here, I remember... This century or last century? Oh, last century. Good, good, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, No, no. Um, I'm trying to think. So I probably got involved. I certainly remember coming on to the sewer show yeah. around the time of... As you would. ...the Richmond occupation. Yeah, and that was uh, 93 or something. Yeah. And then sometime in the 90s, I started doing the show regularly and I was... Um, uh, Margaret Cray and Peter Riley would do one yep. week and I'd do the other mm-hmm. week. Yep. And during that time, I also started going overseas um, every couple of years, and I was living. Any, in, anywhere in particular? Uh, I was mainly based in London. Um, again, you know these fortuitous things. I remember turning. I just I went overseas to the states for a couple of months, and then um, turned up in London. I ran the um, advisory service for squatters. Said, you know, are there any squats around? Which must be most annoying. <laughs> they laughed. They laughed at you. Any squats in London? Come on. Yes, but but you know, anywhere I can stay. All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, you know, and and they kind of went, oh, not really. But look, there's this road protest thing going on. So I went to the road protest. And I actually ran into some friends from Melbourne who were playing in a band called Mutiny, mm. and moved in and end up staying on the road protest for another five or six months. And and that was basically a squatted street and a number of sort of half squatted streets around it. Um, I guess it was almost, you know, like, it, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we pretty much had control of the street, which had its pros and cons. Mm. Lots of barricading. Every Monday we'd go out and hit one of the sites where they were trying to put this big bypass through. At the same time, there was still like a, an 80-year-old woman who'd been born in her place, still yeah. living on the street. Um, so that was a pretty amazing experience to go through. And again, being there meant all these other people came through and, and I made all these friendships, which then allowed me to go to other parts of Europe and yeah. sort of um, plug in. So I was doing that and at the same time sort of, yeah, like coming back to Australia in between, doing the sewer show. Um, and then I did the sewer show again. I can't quite remember when I stopped doing it, <laughs> but it was sometime in... Uh, this two, century, this century. This century. Right, yes. And, um, yeah, since then what I've done in more recent years is um, sort of Summer Phil Radio Series. So I might... Summer Phil Radio Series. What exactly is that? Well, I haven't done it <laughs> for two years, but often it will be Jan Bartlett would take five or six weeks off over summer. Yes, yes. And I might do a show where I interviewed a whole lot of um, musicians from the 60s. Right. And then the next year I might do a show where I interviewed a whole lot of people right. about radical protests and pranks and right. then the next year yeah. I might play just music yeah. so and, and you've had a number of publications along the way haven't you yeah so tell out, us about them well out of the um out of doing the uh, zines I guess I, I kept writing I'd always had an interest in history so in the mid 90s I started late 90s started doing a series called how to make trouble and influence people mm. which sort of had lots of um has lots of shortish kind of anecdotes and stories and so forth and the push for that sort of came for me from a few things one was I felt um, perhaps in other scenes in uh, other political scenes in academia people had a good sense of Australian history but I didn't feel my me and my um, peers amongst the anarchists and sort of radical environmentalists and so forth seen have much of an idea of what was going on in previous times. I knew I had all these friends with these really great stories that I wanted shared beyond them. And I also wanted to sort of, 
like I knew even though we'd had a very small scene of people in Perth that we've been able to kind of punch above our weight by doing um, more outlandish actions or, or post, you know, funny posters or, you know, mm, something mm. that grabbed people's yep. attention. So I wanted to sort of encourage that. So, yeah, I did those and we ended up doing three volumes and then it got turned into a collected volume and then the collected volume got turned into a, into a US edition. <laughs> So, and last year I did a, a How to Make Trouble and Influence People diary as a benefit for, for 3CR, 3CR yeah, and uh, yeah. the Rainforest Information Centre. So, mm. yeah, I love writing and, um, mm. you know, I've, I've stuck at it. Stuck at it. So what are you doing these days? Uh, right now, well, I was, um, I've sort of got a few things going on. I'm actually doing a PhD thesis. I've sort of uh, on what? ventured into the evil world of academia yeah, or the a PhD world. into what? Into uh, what? So it's a history. History. And I'm looking at the evolution of forest blockading tactics. Right. In mainly focusing on uh, Australia and the US but uh, probably bringing in Canada and the UK as well. And I'm looking from sort of 1979 to 97. And I guess I'm looking at how tactics like locking on to things and sitting on tripods, um, how they kind of went, came out of this forest sort of defence mm. scene, but also how they kind of, you know, someone randomly came up with it at a project, well, just, you know, yeah, like, stage, oh, yeah. whatever's not uh, working, uh, maybe I'll climb up yeah, there, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then how they then kind of expanded and became now part of the, yeah. the, the I've, kind I've, of... I've always thought the tripod business came from the uh, Native Americans, you know, because they used to use a lot of tripods. Yeah, well, the the I've certainly yeah. I managed to find a police report from yeah. uh, when Dave Burgess, who, he was one of the people who did the No War mm. Opera House thing. Yeah. He was also the first person it looks like in Australia who went up a tripod and got pushed out of one. <laughs> and uh, there's uh, amongst yeah. the the police reports around it, there's quite a detailed thing from the guy who designed it, it yeah. explaining his thinking. He was some sort of tradesperson and yeah. saying this is how it couldn't have possibly fallen. <laughs> <laughs> And the police report. Right. <laughs> so you're doing that, and you, yeah, are you doing anything else? Um, well, parenting. Parenting. Uh, yeah, you become yeah. a parent. When yeah, did that happen? Yeah. Oh, uh, seven years ago seven on years Sunday. Ago. <laughs> how many? How many are there? One, uh, I've got two? got one daughter, and I've got a goddaughter that I'm oh, very close to. Oh, that's excellent. Um, uh, and uh, other than that, yeah, a few other things in the in the fire, which I can't necessarily talk about. No, no, I yet, understand that. I mean, you're an old man; you just you want to protect your assets. <laughs> well, you know, so you know, your Cayman Island investments. I might, I know. might, uh, I might talk something up that doesn't come off. Is probably exactly. no, more the uh, worst. That's the exactly issue. Right. But um, do you have any association with three CR these days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, well, I did the fundraising last year with the diary. Yeah, uh, I keep saying I want to come back in and do another summer series. Um, One of the things I want to do with this PhD uh, research is I don't want it to just be a PhD. So with my master's, I also turned that into a radio show for 3CR and I also did a um, Mm. oral history. So I want to do sort of similar things. So I'm recording all my interviews with people and eventually, um, you know, it'll take some time. I want to sit down and sort of chop it all together into... What might be a very amateurish sounding thing, or <laughs> might be a bit slick, or well, slick. Never, I don't know. Well, as but, long as it's informative and entertaining, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But I'd like to get those yeah. stories. Well, I mean, what I, what I like about your story, and what I'd like, you know, kind of, you know, is the fact that I think a lot of activists are a little bit too serious. They don't actually understand how important it is to be, especially in radio, to be entertaining at the same time, because there's a lot of stations, a lot of people talking. And people appreciate a little bit of humour, you know, with your politics, and uh, that's my opinion. And uh, I think you've you've brought that with you from West Australia, because the, the thing about the Freedom Collective is they always had that humorous streak about them in terms of the strategies they used. And uh, I learned a lot from them in the seventies, you know. Well, it makes uh, what's sometimes a hard road and a depressing road, sort mm. of, you mm. know. Mm. A more enjoyable one. Exactly. Well, you know what Emma said. Now, um, you got any parting words for youngsters listening to this program? No. Nothing? You got no <laughs> knowledge to impart? Nothing? Oh, look. Yeah, you put me on the spot there. Um, oh, you've got kids. you got, you know, you must be thinking about it. Well, you know, just 
yeah, get out there and do it and get have out a there laugh, and do it. Have a laugh while you're doing <laughs> right. it. Yeah. Um, look at what people have done in the past and, and try to learn from that. I wish I'd have done a bit more of that myself. I mean, to some degree, and I'm still doing that and I'm still learning all the time. Uh, some degree, you just got to get out there and stuff up and so you figure out what's what's what and what's going on. Uh, at the same time, yeah, it can be good to look at what people are number for and, and uh, hopefully learn from uh, from them. Right, and the hard question, which we'll leave to the end, tell us the story behind Ian, I-A-I-N. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were going to well, tell us at the beginning. Yeah, very quickly. <laughs> um, the firstborn son is has always been John in, in amongst our section of the McIntyres. Uh-huh. Um for various reasons, my parents didn't want to do that, but to placate um, my grandfather, uh, Ian, they thought up <laughs> Ian because it was the Gaelic, right. and so the spelling is I-A-I-M, which has always meant that um, my name's been pretty much misspelt <laughs> <laughs> on almost everything, um, from school reports to uh, you know degrees or yeah. to uh, whatever. whatever yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the story, um, yeah. They sort of chose it for that. And apparently McIntyre comes from, um, you know, the, one of the Vikings chopped his thumb off and plugged a hole in the longboat and they said, oh, you can have your own clan then. But right. uh, <laughs> that story maybe not – I'm not sure about so, the accuracy of that. But certainly that's how I ended up with the Gaelic smelling. All right. Well, look, uh, Ian, uh, congratulations on a life well lived. Oh. And hopefully you've got another 30 or 40 years of contributions yeah. oh, to make to the, to the world. Why are, but... well, what, you, you want a bloody telegram from Queen Elizabeth, do you? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Well, thank you very much. It's no a pleasure worries. speaking to you. And uh, all the best to you and uh, your family and your friends. And uh, keep doing what you're doing because I think you've given a lot of pleasure and, more importantly, a lot of information and a lot of joy to a lot of people, not just in Melbourne but around Australia and overseas. All the best. Thanks. You too, Joe. Everybody knows that the days are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight Fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich, that's how it goes. Everybody.